Faith Matters Podcast. I'm your host, John Morgan. Well, this is the podcast for Multi-Faith Matters, and I am the host, John Moorhead, and today I am privileged to have Suhag Shukla on the program. And yes, that pronunciation is correct. I double checked before the program. I'm going to read a little bit of her bio and she can add something if she would like to, to help us know who she is. Uh, she is the executive director and co-founder of the Hindu American Foundation. She holds a BA in religion and a JD from the University of Florida. Ms. Shukla has helped steer the foundation to being recognized as a leading voice for civil rights, human rights, and religious freedom. She's been instrumental in the development of a broad range of educational materials and position papers and blogs for a variety of platforms. Shukla was named one of 12 faith leaders to watch in 2017 by the Center for American Progress. And of course, she's got much, much more to abide with than that. Shukla, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, John, for having me. I uh, appreciate having this conversation. I'm very much a proponent of, of dialogue, and that's what we're going to do. I appreciate your willingness to, to come on and talk about these things. Did you have anything you wanted to add to the bio that folks should know about you? Um, just maybe a little bit about um, where I grew up. And um, so I was born and raised in California. So I am a, I guess, Hindu American Californian. <laughs> We're about in, in and, California. I'm from Northern California originally. Uh, so from the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. I'm from Sacramento. Okay. Not too far. Yeah. And, um, you know, grew up in an extended family. My grandmother uh, lived with us. So she was um, a real deep influence in my life in terms of my understanding of the tradition. I was also a rebellious teenager. So I went through kind of a phase of asking why we did things. And, um, and so I oftentimes describe my identity as not uh, being Hindu because I have to be, but being Hindu because I want to be, uh, because I found the um, philosophy underlying all of the rituals and traditions that I was um, accustomed to seeing growing up uh, really um, resonate with how I see the world and um, my place in it. Fantastic. I appreciate that additional personal background. It's also help, always helpful not just to see people as representatives, uh, but to, to find real human beings to talk to. So thank you for that. Um, mm -hmm. The background for our conversation today, um, as a Christian, I try to help my audience, other Christians primarily, um, have a sympathetic and informed understanding of people in other religious traditions. And they have their uh, issues of concern and conflicts, just like all other communities do. And one of the things that, that caught my attention was the ongoing uh, discussion and conflict over uh, Hindutva. And uh, we're going to talk about in our conversation today, a response piece that you wrote to an online event um, where there's some concern, were they addressing Hindutva or is this really Hindu phobia? But before we get to that specific, can you uh, help outsiders who may not be familiar with this, what Hindutva is and, and that kind of thing, just kind of a a description by way of background. 
Yeah, um, that's probably a, a million dollar question right there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because, um, you know, it has many different meanings that range from philosophical to, um, to political. And uh, so starting with the maybe even just etymological, um, it Hindutva at its root means the essence of, of Hinduness or you know, the essence of being Hindu. So for many people, when they use that word um, or, or engage with it, that's the kind of perspective they're coming from. Um, the Indian, Indian Supreme Court has ruled on cases dealing with the meaning of Hindutva. And um, the Indian Supreme Court has described it as um, the Hindu way of life. Uh, so that kind of gives you an idea of kind of the um, philosophical slash maybe social and legal definition of Hindutva. And then it ranges all the way to um, kind of what we saw in the conference. And that was a, there is a political, even, even within the political meanings of the word, you have those that uh, view Hindutva as um, kind of acknowledging um, kind of the shared heritage and culture of the geography of India and the religious traditions that emerged from it. And that being kind of a shared heritage across all religions, um, including Christians and Muslims and, and Hindus, Jains, Buddhists, Sikhs, um, to kind of the more malignant definition, um, political definition that the conference um, organizers espouse, which is seeing Hindutva as kind of Hindu supremacy or Hindu fascism. So it, it, there's there's a broad range and, and therein kind of lies some of the challenges that the Hindu community had and some of the problems the Hindu community had with this event. So in listening to that, that last part of what you said there, you know, America has struggled with Christian nationalism, mm -hmm. um, this fusion of religious and political identities and this uh, authoritarian kind of a desire and approach in American government. Would, would you say that for some who are concerned about certain forms of Hindu for certain definitions of it, that it's when it combines with nationalism, that's where the concerns might be? I think that, yeah, that's probably a fair, um, a fair assessment of where that critique is coming from. I think the challenge lies in um, not acknowledging that there's this particular word that, especially when you're talking about something in a global context, um, the kind of assumption is then that this is something that goes beyond India's borders um, to the world. And when you have uh, a, a term that also then has Hindu in it, it's inescapable of associating it with the global Hindu diaspora. And, um, you know, so in the United States, for instance, um, Indian people of Indian origin, the vast majority of whom are Hindu, um, make up less than 1.3% of the entire population. So we're talking about a subset of 1.3%. So yes, there is there are those concerns, but they are rooted in what's happening in India and politics there. But as we saw, and we'll, we'll talk about this more later, but 
what we saw at the event was not necessarily a critique of specific policies um, or, or specific um, problems that they had, but maybe there was some of that, but there was largely a blurring of lines between Hindutva, including the way that, um, that the organizers were trying to make the distinction between Hindutva and Hinduism. But then by the end of the program, basically you had um, scholars and activists saying, well, Hindutva and Hinduism is one and the same, which begs the question, well, how are we having a conference that's supposedly academic that's calling for the dismantling of Hinduism? The way I found out about, I heard a little bit about the conference, but then Fred Stella, whom we both know, um, who's been in this program before, he posted a link to an article that you wrote, let's see, at uh, AmericanKahani.com. Mm -hmm. And that's when I asked him if he would, uh, if he thought you might be interested in coming on and discussing it. And so that was my first exposure to the concerns about it. Can you help? I'll post a link to that article in the program notes so that folks can can read your, your full uh, essay on that. Can you tell, tell us a little bit about the, the conference itself? Who put it together? What was it ostensibly about? And what kinds of concerns were raised yeah, by you absolutely. in response? Yeah, so several weeks ago, it seems like eons ago, uh, an announcement hit it uh, on, on social media that activists and scholar activists, self-defined scholar activists, we're putting together this conference called Dismantling Global Hindutva. It was going to be a virtual event that was going to bring together activists, um, scholar activists, as well as journalists um, to talk about the topic, which was Dismantling Global Hindutva. Um, the website made very clear um, that this event was political in nature as well as um, its intention. The intention was to dismantle the word as well as the Indian political party that espouses it, which is the democratically elected party in India, the Bharatiya Janta Party. I think what really caught our attention and um, you know, huge swaths of the Hindu American community um, in a way that I've not seen before and I've been in this space of Hindu American advocacy now for 18 years, and I've never seen something um, kind of jar the community in the way that it did. And I'm talking about thousands of people um, engaging in various forms of advocacy from writing letters to calling alumni relations, to um, signing petitions, to you know going to social media or writing their own blogs. I think the one, kind of point that really just stirred everyone was this display on the website of this event. Now, I just wanna give a little bit of background on, on the event organizers. It wasn't any particular institution that we know of um, that was the, the main host of this event. It was just this kind of anonymous handle. Um, there were no names of university professors um, originally associated with it. Um, I do have, I did get access to some leaked emails. So I have some ideas as to um, some of the scholar activists that were driving it, but there was no legal entity per se that was the main host. But what we did have was a display of over 40 
universities and colleges, um, largely based in the United States, but a few from Canada that were listed as contributors or sponsors. So one thing is for the Hindu American community, first of all, just from a philosophical and religious um, vantage, we're a wisdom tradition. Knowledge is seen as a means to realizing the truth. So when you have universities, which are supposed to be kind of institutions of education, um, actively or, or implicitly participating in something that is a partisan political event that we were certain was going to also veer into um, Hindu phobia, that in and of itself, just from a philosophical um, point is it was problematic. And I think one of the reasons why the community was so activated on this. The second thing is that the Hindu American community has largely seen its success and its ability to integrate in the United States as a result of education. When my father came here to pursue his master's studies, same thing with my mother. And that's the story of so many Hindu American immigrants who came from India or came from other, other um, parts of the diaspora. So I think the critical role of education in both our um, tradition as well as our story um, as Americans really made this issue hit home. And then of course, there's the fact that either we were students or we have children who are students on college campuses or we have children who will eventually be students on college campuses that really got people um, concerned that all of these prestigious universities, we're talking Harvard, Yale, Stanford, University of Chicago, Princeton, I mean, you name it, of the who's who of every college institution in the United States, their logos were um, being used to kind of imply some sort of institutional endorsement of this partisan event. The event ha had a few advertised speakers. Um, some of them were politicians from like India's Communist Party. Some were activists who have a long track record of kind of promoting Hindu phobic speech um, and hate speech towards Hindus. Now, of course, hate speech is free speech, but it doesn't make it right speech. So all of these things together really got um, the community activated um, and deeply concerned. Did you uh, have a chance, did you try and watch any of it or was it just concerns that were, you, you were satisfied that you had kind of a basic understanding based upon the speakers and some of that? No, I, you know, I am a, I really am committed to understanding. Um, it's something that we at the Hindu American Foundation promote in terms of mutual respect and understanding. And so um, those are values that I also um, espouse in my advocacy. So I absolutely watched it. Just wanna make one point um, sure. in terms of the community reaction and then I'll, I'll talk yeah. about what I saw. But in terms of the community response, as I said before, I, the response was unprecedented. Um, just in the first 24 hours of our letter writing campaign, and I know that other organizations in the community were also running their campaigns in parallel, our system was overwhelmed with close to a million email messages being sent to the 40 universities, and we were writing letters to the presidents provosts, um, diversity and inclusion staff, as well as, um, 
oh, what's it called, public relations staff um, to make our concerns um, known. And that was one, whether the university had universities had approved of their logos being used for an event that was political and partisan in nature. Most universities are tax exempt. And so they really should not be um, participating in a partisan event based on 501c3 um, prohibitions. Um, but also we were asking what sort of support they would extend to Hindu students and faculty on campus who may feel or fear um, hostility as a result of some of the speakers that were going to be um, invited or were invited rather to this event and knowing their track records, um, what, what were they going to do to ensure the psychological safety of, of Hindu students and faculty? Um, and at no point did we ask for cancellation. As I said before, uh, you know, I think that the solution to hate speech is more speech and more constructive dialogue. And I also believe fundamentally that the purpose of a liberal education is promoting open inquiry, supporting viewpoint diversity, and also modeling constructive um, engagement with different perspectives. And this, um, this event was not going to do that. And that's why it was not an academic event. They weren't inviting people that would maybe provide a diversity of perspectives on, um, on the political ongoings and policies that are being implemented on the ground in India. So just exactly what we had warned the universities ahead of time, it was probably far worse after watching the event in terms of the kinds of hateful statements um, that, were, um, that were being promoted, um, not just by activists, by, but, but also by activist scholars who are you know, on college campuses teaching any American student in their class um, ostensibly about Hinduism. Now, you're engaged in, in dialogue, I'm engaged in dialogue, and that's one of the critical ways in which we can learn about one another. But when we promote stereotypes about religious traditions or inaccuracies, we're only shortchanging the next generation of policymakers, of diplomats, of citizens who are going to be living side by side um, with people of diverse faiths. So I'll just give you a sampling of some of the things that were kind of said there. Um, so one scholar said that, you know, Hindu places of worship are quote unquote centers of material wealth and power. Now that's not untrue. Churches could be described that way as well. But then she goes further on to say, and they are not quote, a sacred abode, a place where worshipers are made equal under God or an organic Hindu cosmos. So that gives you an idea of some of the, um, dismissiveness and um, inaccuracies that are passed off as scholarship um, in South Asian studies and Hindu studies. Um, another scholar also asked, well, after the, some panelists had spoken, um, so are panelists saying that the caste system is inseparable from Hinduism? If that's the case, why not dismantle Hinduism and not just Hindutva? And then the speakers gave their um, reasons as to why, yes, you're right, Hinduism is what should be dismantled. Um, and, you know, talking about the caste system, that's a frequent stereotype. It's taking something that's um, a social dynamic and equating it 
with, um, with the fullest philosophy and the religion. Um, here's two more quotes that I'll give you. Um, this was, I believe, from an activist that harboring the idea that Hinduism is harmless and Hindutva is the culprit will not do anything to further democratic ideals. And then the last one, um, I emphasize without hesitation that Hindutva is inseparable without Hinduism and the arguments that Hindutva is not Hinduism are deeply dangerous and will not lead us to the future we want. So, you know, these are the types of statements where Hindus and the, tr the, the, the tradition was, you know, delegitimized and demonized. And by extension, Hindus are dehumanized. And that's really a problem um, just on principle, but also from a reputational perspective for these universities who fine, you know, after the campaign and millions of messages going out, the event organizers were forced to take the logos down. But what they did instead was replace the logos with a list of departments from universities that were supposedly sponsoring or contributing to the event. So I still think that there's a the problem here of, um, of being associated now, these institutions through their department with something that was um, overtly promoting Hindu phobia and anti-Hindu hate. One of the things that was curious to me when I looked at uh, the event was uh, the, the dates in which it was scheduled. Um, it, it took place over 9-11, the 20th anniversary of 9-11. So there was a, a kind of a special emphasis nationally uh, maybe even more so than our, than our annual usual processing of that event. Um, and during that time, there, there's a lot of reflection. People are, are still processing grief. Uh, at the same time, we've got uh, problems in Afghanistan with the withdrawal, um, renewed questions about Islamophobia that Americans are probably far more familiar with than the, the probability of Hindu phobia. So all this is going on. So the, the question I had is why schedule it over that particular time? Any thoughts or reflections on that? Um, I mean, other than tone deafness, um, I mean, if I, I, I can't be in their mind, right. but there were enough people out there who did see malintent in this as a means of deflecting, um, deflecting attention, uh, you know, especially because the event organizers were, were very emphatic in their use of the word global to suggest that whatever they view as this Hindu threat to democracy, Hindu threat to um, peace and stability is something that's global in nature. When in fact, we saw in Afghanistan um, that that issue is something that is indeed global in that you have neighboring countries like Pakistan that either harbor terrorists or support terrorists who are now undermining American interests and they're destabilizing the region which impacts Indian interests, Bangladeshi um, interests, and then China is an entire different factor. So if we're talking about global, to me, global means that it transcends one, one nation's borders. And um, what we're seeing today in Afghanistan certainly does. And even 9-11 was indeed a global event um, where 
you had um, people from other countries coming in and attacking Americans on American soil. And there were many people who were not Americans who died as a result of that. Um, as I said earlier, uh, I think many in my listening and viewing audience are probably far more familiar with Islamophobia than, than Hindu phobia. Um, can you help put this in context? Uh, what kinds of prejudices, uh, maybe even violence, do uh, Hindus face in America? So there's a broad range. Um, you know, uh, we've seen just actually recently, um, it, they range from kind of um, more kind of verbal attacks um, to desecration and, and violence. So, um, you know, there was um, just recently in Atlanta, for instance, there's a temple that's being built and some of the neighbors uh, don't want that temple to be there. And so there were signs posted with a dot, which you can see behind me, I have this artwork that also has um, different examples of some of the head markings that Hindus might wear as uh, a means of their re religious practice. Um, and so this sign had something about, you know, dots not welcome or something along that lines. Um, and um, we're still trying to get facts from the ground on exactly what happened. Um, I heard that there might have been a fire at a local temple, but I'm still waiting for confirmation on that. So there's that. You know, there's the, the slurs that many of us grew up with um, hearing in terms of, um, you know, dot heads or, or, or being damned to hell or um, go back to your country, you know, so that kind of gives you an idea of some of the more verbal um, forms of Hindu phobia that we see. Then it escalates to attacks on temples. Like I mentioned, the um, verbal was associated with a possible physical attack. Um, temples in Washington, um, in, in Georgia and other states have been desecrated. Um, where people enter in and demolish some of our um, murthis or our, um, our deities um, that are part of Hindu worship or will desecrate the temple. People have been attacked. Uh, back in the early 80s, um, New Jersey had a gang called the Dot Busters, and they were specifically targeting um, people of uh, South Asian heritage. Uh, many were Hindu, and they called themselves the Dot Busters. So it was a very specific targeting of Hindus. Um, but you know, there were victims across um, various religious backgrounds. And then probably the most extreme form of Hindu phobia would be ethnic cleansings and genocide. Um, and we've seen that not in the United States, but in places like uh, Bangladesh, uh, in places like Pakistan, where Hindus and, and also Christians are facing mass and gross human rights atrocities. And we're seeing a disappearing of those um, populations. Afghanistan um, is another example where, you know, in the early 70s, there were almost something like 200,000 Hindus um, and Hindus and Sikhs, for instance, have been in Afghanistan for thousands of years. And now that's down to less than a thousand. So that's something that the Hindu American Foundation is working on. Even a place within India, like uh, Jammu and Kashmir. Kashmir is home to um, uh, Hindus, uh, Kashmiri pundits is what they're called. 
And this is their ancestral homeland. And in the 1980s, as a result of a cross-border terror proxy war by Pakistan, nearly 350,000 to 400,000 Hindus were cleansed from Kashmir. Bhutan, another example, where under um, a one nation, uh, one culture policy that wanted to kind of implement um, or privilege Buddhism and the particular form of Buddhism that was being practiced in Bhutan as kind of a privileged religion, um, that ended up to the cleansing of nearly 200,000 uh, Bhutanese of Nepali origin, the vast majority of whom were Hindus. So that gives you hopefully a wide and broad spectrum of how Hindu phobia can manifest. Well, unfortunately, it sounds like we still have a long way to go. Um, like I said, <laughs> folks are, you know, usually, I think Americans more are starting to grapple with Islamophobia, but things like, uh, you know, Hindu phobia has to be on the radar uh, mm -hmm. before folks can, can address it. And I've seen your community, uh, the Sikh community also wrestle with these kinds of things. So we've got a long way to go. So hopefully conversations like this can contribute towards a more positive outcome where these kinds of things uh, happen less and hopefully in the future don't happen at all. Um, yeah. I, I like to try and not only provide critique in my podcast, but try and provide a positive feedback and alternative. Um, there was this conference that had problematic elements and, and all of this that you've already addressed. How might a, a university or a group of academics do something more positive that provides good information, facilitates mm -hmm. understanding, uh, allows for diverse viewpoints, and yet also at the same time leaves room for, for disagreement? What, what kinds of things can be done? I, I think that that's a great question. Um, one, I think this is not just an issue that's afflicting South Asian studies. I think universities as a whole are really grappling with their role, their very important role in, in civil society. And that is to nurture and grow our next generation of citizens. And if a university does not promote open inquiry, it doesn't support a diversity of perspectives. And if it does not provide, and, and it does not insist that scholars as educators model how to deal with diverse perspectives, including those that they vehemently disagree with, I think we're shortchanging not just the next generation, but all of our well-being if democracy is something that we're committed to, um, because a democracy is as healthy as its citizens, and um, the universities have a very important role to play in that. I also think that politicization on university campuses um, in, and in the media um, really um, impact the public trust that these institutions uh, depend on. And we've seen that in the larger scale in, in kind of the polarization that we're seeing. And then universities and, and media um, and even policymakers to some extent where they, they should maintain a certain level of objectivity and neutrality, they're not doing that. And, and so I think that there are many opportunities. There are many, many scholars on campuses who are committed to that but are oftentimes silenced as a result of scholar activists who then begin using the type of language and rhetoric that really saying it's academic freedom, but really actually undermines academic freedom because 
you are using, um, you know, ad hominems as opposed to kind of discussing content and critiquing content. Critiquing to me is an academic exercise, dismantling is not. Deconstructing also is an academic exercise. So that's certainly there. If universities can provide opportunities for people of different viewpoints to come together and dialogue, um, I think that is another important step. And also for universities to be more aware of the different ways in which um, Hindu phobia or Islamophobia or anti-Semitism or anti-Christian sentiment, how they can take form and, and providing space and support for students, emphasizing again, these kind of core values. We're not talking about canceling uh, people or speakers, but if a speaker comes on campus or there's a professor who engages in hateful rhetoric, um, how can a student or other faculty members get support from the university to stand up against it. And I think those are all um, ways in which um, the university as well as students and parents can demand um, a better model for the future. I, I appreciate those positive suggestions. Uh, uh, I've come to the end of my questions. Is there anything I've missed that you would like to share with the audience about this? Um, I, you know, I think I've probably missed uh, making a point about Hindu phobia in terms of um, just narratives. Um, and that is kind of the broader understanding of Hinduism um, is still largely framed um, from a Western worldview. And so there's more of a stereotyped or inaccurate understanding of Hinduism or an understanding that comes from um, a vantage that doesn't necessarily seek to understand how Hinduism lives as a tradition in the everyday lives of Hindus. And so um, I just wanna make that point in terms of how Hindu phobia can also manifest in um, media narratives or even in the academic study of, of um, religion. And, and that too um, is also a broader issue. Uh, you know, that religion, the academic study of religion very often comes from a, a, if it were agnostic, I think I would be okay, but it almost comes from a hostile uh, perspective in the way that religion is treated, um, unlike other, other subjects. So, um, you know, to the extent that you can get more people of faith um, involved in the academic study of religion, this idea that you cannot be objective simply because you are an adherent to a faith. I don't buy into that. Um, everyone has their biases, whether it's science or math or anything else. So I don't hold um, religious studies to be any different. So I think that there's opportunity there um, for more Hindu Americans to pursue um, in addition to just their own um, religious practice and study, but to actually pursue the academic study of Hinduism. I appreciate that reminder of our, our lack of objectivity, I think, particularly academics. Uh, we, we try to be as objective as possible, but we have to account for our, our subjectivities, our, our location, our biases, and, and if we could properly account for them, then uh, we're in good shape. But a lot of times, you know, we don't. So, well, I just want to thank you 
uh, for uh, somebody who you didn't know reaches out and says, hey, come on my, my program where evangelicals are there, then, uh, and you didn't hesitate, and I appreciate you coming on and shedding some light and helping my audience understand these issues. Thank you. I'm um, really glad we had this conversation and look forward to having more. Great. Me too. My guest today, again, has been uh, Suhag Shukla, and she's with the Hindu American Foundation. Check the program notes for a link to her article and uh, a link to... uh